Welcome to The Mend, a podcast to learn about services and support for victims and survivors of crime, sponsored through the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. My name is Anna Nassett, and I'm the host of this bi-monthly podcast and show. And I'm delighted today to have Kelsey Rice here to discuss domestic violence and survivorship. Welcome, Kelsey. Uh, hi. This hi. This show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concepts for victims and survivors of crime. We want to acknowledge our healing process and provide resources not only in our state of Vermont, but throughout the country that could benefit victims of crime as they begin to mend. I always want to offer a content warning. Our goal is to discuss to create a safe place to discuss topics of healing. But with that in mind, we may occasionally have a story related to crime, discuss our mental health, or have other sensitive subject matter. So I urge you to listen at your own discretion. As I said, I'm honored to have Kelsey here today. She works for Easter Seals Vermont, providing child and support family services. Um, Easter Seals Vermont is contracted with the Department of Child, Children and Families. She provides a variety of support services with a significant number of cases involving domestic violence and interpersonal violence. Kelsey is also a survivor of domestic violence and interpersonal violence and has her turned her survivorship into activism and action here in the state of Vermont. Thank you so much for being here today. So excited. Thank you. Yes, I'm excited that we finally get to connect. Um, so welcome. And just as we kind of start to get this conversation going, and only with what you're comfortable with, can you share a little bit about how you were called into this work? Yes. Well, as you said, I am a survivor of intimate partner violence. Um, domestic violence is sort of covers a lot of areas, but for me, that that's to be more specific. And but prior to that, actually, I should say I've I have nearly twenty years of behavioral and mental health direct service work, and so I was already in that work prior to experiencing domestic violence myself. So when I when I was in it. Um, and on my way out really is what lit my fire to start speaking out and join this movement. Um, when I was ready to leave, it was pretty clear what I was in. It was extremely difficult. Um, but what was so shocking to me was that society, our communities, my family, my lifelong friends sort of just perpetuated the violence, continued it for my user. And that for me, I was aware as I was experiencing that over and over again, that it was a lack of understanding, really. It was not people intending to cause more harm. I, there have definitely been experiences of very clear discrimination based upon being a victim of domestic violence. And that absolutely um, evoked a lot of anger from me. And I would say propelled my recovery journey, really. It gave me a fire to fight. Um, and that, that's what's brought me here today. Uh, is, is what the change that needs to happen. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm sorry that you've gone through those experiences and I'm happy that you're here raising a voice. Um, I know how challenging that be. And it's a heavy load to carry as well. So thank you for, for raising that voice. And so that others can respond with appropriateness in the future is such a huge thing for us all to learn is how to respond to the people in our life who are experiencing violence and coming from that place of believability and compassion and care is so important. Yes. So one of the things that I think is really important for us to talk about is the impact and stigma around domestic violence and the barriers to recovery 
in it. Um, and it creates harm for both victims and those who cause harm. So could you talk to me a little bit about the impact of stigma on your own life and just how you see that, you know, within our state as well? Yes. Um, in my, my own life, and I always like to lift up my privilege. I was born into relative pri privilege. I have at times lost housing and places of employment due to the domestic violence. Um, I, but I've always had doors open to me. I've never been without a home and a place to safe place to be with my children. I've never been unable to feed my children. I do lean upon economic services for food benefits and everything that I am possibly eligible for, which I need because I'm a single mother of three children. But with that said, despite the privilege that I have, I would say that the barrier continues. I am now five years out of the relationship. And while we, I have relative safety, I still have relief from abuse order in place. I don't feel that my life is in danger on a daily basis. I don't feel that my children are in danger on a daily basis. The journey is not over. It is a lifelong impact when it comes to domestic violence. The social stigma, again, it continues. I, it continues to play out. And it was playing out as I was seeking safety, which to me is so alarming. We have people seeking safety. When, when sort of the, the collective understanding is that domestic violence is not okay. That's so terrible. I feel, I feel terrible for that happening to people, but it doesn't affect me. And the reality is it's going on all around us. And it, it's going mm -hmm. on. You know, our, our dental hygienist is experiencing it, the, the grocery clerk, our neighbor, maybe our sister. It, it's going on all around us, but because it's kept behind closed doors, people, there's this separation from it. And there's the compassion fatigue that we see that people are like, that's so sad, but I, I got to put it in the compartment of all the other things that are sad in the world. This doesn't really affect me. And the more recovery I have and the burden that I continue to bear as I'm trying to manage providing for three children, being a social worker and serving victims myself, is that it's, it's going, it's the smaller pieces. It's, it's sexual harassment in workplaces, right? It's, it's not just getting comfortable speaking up when you see the signs of domestic violence going on with your coworker or your neighbor or your friend. It's that, that, yes, yes, we need to work on people being comfortable and learning how to be better bystanders and people standing up. But it's also about the, the, the cultural norms that we need to change. It's all part of the same issue. And so while the magnitude of, in Vermont is huge, half of homicides in Vermont are domestic violence related and people don't really grasp or understand that. It's also this societal issue that we just keep perpetuating on and on and on of gender-based violence, right? And so when I taught the stigma and the barriers, what that looks like, very basic level, is that when, for a victim, when you, your mind has been taken over by your abuser, your thoughts are not your own, you have compromised your integrity and your choices, you've, you've been isolated from everyone that you used to feel safe and comfortable with. This is, I'm speaking generally, but these are very common experiences. The one person that has control over you that knows how to pull you back in and make you feel safe and secure is your abuser. But when you are ready to take a step and get out and you're met by society that you're met with by discrimination, you're met by the, the for me and for many survivors, one of the reasons we go back so many times, this isn't the only reason, is that 
we're pushed back into isolation. We're, we're fleeing, we're crossing enemy, enemy lines and we're seeking help. But what we receive every step of the way is to be pushed aside and to experience discrimination. So that's one piece. And then just the barrier to stability in recovery when we really do reach, we reach being a survivor and being on our own and having that stability, maintaining it is incredibly difficult. And many, many victims find themselves in more abusive relationships. And then for those who cause harm, I would say, you know, those are issues that are extremely difficult to grapple with, right? And if we want to have any hope that someone will seek help and really integrate the lessons that need to be learned to not repeat this cycle, just putting more shame upon these people is the last thing that's going to work. And we see that playing out in our society. So that's, that's really where I come from. I think that was a very loaded, long answer. <laughs> it was a great answer. Um, yeah, I mean, because, well, I think one of the things that you just kind of really brought it all together with the end is the shame that's put on all of the parties. Um, you know, like just even trying to access housing or something like that, like the victim is considered a danger. You know, I was used to when I rent a place, I sign my lease. And then afterwards, I'll tell them if this person ever contacts you, please don't tell them I live here. But I do that after I sign my lease, because are they going to sign a lease to me beforehand? No. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So and it's I could the say again. Yeah. Five years out. It plays out in my now it now it's not I'm okay, I'm fleeing violence and everyone has to be on high alert. That has still happened um years later. For example, when my ex was getting released from jail, I had to have a safe plan involving my workplace. And they were they were supportive. Uh, but it has played out in more than one workplace because I speak about these issues now and absolutely maintain professional boundaries, do not share with uh, clients and, you know, in realms where it's not appropriate, but I do use my voice and I do uh, seek public opportunities to speak on these issues. I've seen it play out over and over again in workplaces and other settings that if others compromise their integrity in some way, or if there's any kind of conflict that might go on, which we're human beings, these things happen. My, my professionalism my intellect, my perception of social dynamics and reality is questioned first. And it has happened where people will directly name it because I'm a domestic a survivor of domestic violence. And so when it's comfortable and, and people are open to the dialogue and able, you know, feel like they can express that they, they are, you know, a supporter and wanting to, to be part of this movement, that's okay. But if they feel they're in some way being asked to take accountability for some sort of misstep, even has nothing to do with, right, domestic violence, I am very quickly questioned. It's played, played out many, many times. So that's just one example. I have many of them. Um, but absolutely housing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to tell a landlord that you have an RFA when you're trying to get an apartment, right, like that's. I can see why a lot of people wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's the same thing for the the person who's causing harm when they're released from prison, something like that. They need to secure housing and employment and order and therapy and all of those services to be able to not offend, to learn those new behaviors and the access to that as well. And so we just we keep being met with that colliding into chaos once again. 
Right. How can we possibly expect someone to be ready to do that hard, hard work? I mean, that is humbling work to acknowledge if you don't have stability in your life. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. We, we can't expect that. But this is a generational issue, right? I mean, I've had more than one abusive relationship. My um, abusers have had more than one abusive relationships. And so, yep. you know, I, I, after I have now done the hard work on my own recovery, but it, it takes, it, it's extremely difficult work. And so, yeah, that major barriers lifelong. And, and we talk about, we can talk a lot about the cost to the state, right? Whether mm-hmm. it be our medical bills, mental health bills. I mean, I continue to this day, my children are um, covered by Medicaid. Again, I've received economic services for years. Um, on all, all of, I have many, many docket numbers with my name on them due to domestic violence, and I haven't paid a penny because I qualify for my economic services, and I need this support, right? Um, there are so many costs. I don't receive any child support, so there are many, many costs that our state is paying for. And then, of course, we the, the criminal system is backlogged, right? The number of people incarcerated for domestic violence is huge, and we're spending tons and tons of money on system that's not working. So again, that's another, that's another burden. Yeah. And even like, I mean, I want to echo to something is that like you were saying, like you have three children, I have no children. And we said this right before we got on here. Like one of the things that I know I've been fortunate with is because, because I don't have children, you know, I could have a conversation openly in my apartment with the prosecutor or whatever it might be. And just as you're trying to provide and feed and house three children while getting the services you need, like, it's just, it's such a huge, huge burden in your coming into that place of survivorship to even make that time can feel like it's just like, if I take that hour away to go get therapy, that's an hour I'm not working. It's costing me money. I, it's just, it all goes around. It's, it's, it's. It's never ending. I mean, really, I don't know how I do it. I can say that I cannot operate to my full capacity in any area of my life, whether it be in my parenting, whether it be professionally, whether it be in my self-care, whatever it is, I can't. It is not humanly possible to do what is on my plate. It is, I mean, I am completely comfortable saying at this point in my life that all victims and survivors of domestic violence deserve so much respect. You cannot possibly imagine how difficult it is to do what we do unless you've lived it. And to add on to that, being a single parent, it truly is unmanageable. And I am, I am gifted at this point. I've gone through so much that I've come to a place of just what you see was what you get. I'm doing the best that I can. And I own my mistakes and I ask for help. And, I, and again, I've been in behavioral mental health for almost 20 years. I know how to navigate systems. I've been advocating for people to navigate through systems. So for me to have that awareness is privilege. And I knew it was difficult for folks before I did it myself. But once I did it myself, it was like, again, there was this, I'll call it sacred rage that was born and I have a loud mouth. And that's what's brought me here today because it is unmanageable. And, but I also, something that's bringing up children to think about is that I have three boys that have been impacted by domestic violence, 14, 11, and five. And so that it's, it's 
all parenting is hard, but it, but to support the trauma they've experienced through every stage since, you know, to support their healing and recovery, meet them where they are. And also to be trying to break the cycle so that they don't play these patterns out in their lives is, is incredibly, incredibly difficult. And we don't have resources and supports available for children that have been exposed to domestic violence, namely boys. And that is something we really, really need to invest in is prevention. Absolutely. Yeah. That's such a huge component and such a huge other lift to be carrying in your just walk through life is to support them and prevent because we, we know these cycles and how they continue. Like you said, you wasn't, wasn't your only abusive relationship. I know that very well myself. And those people who have harmed me were harmed by somebody else. And it just like, it's that cycle that we're trying to break. Yeah. Um, And we do need everyone to take accountability for this issue in order to make progress. Uh, How do you think we need to be approaching this? So I, I, you know, in my journey here, I've been, in many ways, I get invited to speak and to be to be part of different projects at times. But a lot of what I have done and do has just sought people out to have conversations, people in positions of, of power. Um, again, because I got angry and I I have a loud mouth. And I at this point, you know, again, I'm I'm comfortable talking about all of it because it is absolutely appalling to me what we have going on. And at the same time, I don't blame any specific individual or right. Like we have systems built in place to help and support and keep us safe, but we're talking about humanity. And so nothing is ever black and white. And these systems have come so far, but there's so much more to do. So a lot of activism work, I think, you know, from my perspective is all comes from a positive place, but it often can be divisive and that if you're trying to reach folks that don't feel invested in it, that feel like this doesn't impact me or, hey, I just have this role to do. This is my job and it's not really my problem, right? Like I just do my job, not up to me, but it is going to take all of us. And so having these conversations, I, I notice, you know, I, I try to listen for intention. You know, if someone's asking me a question and they're not using the most, you know, up-to-date current lingo, um, that, you know, some, some people might find offensive. Um, I, I, I find like, let's, let's seek to understand where we're both coming from and find collaboration. And through that I can educate, right? Like yeah. use my lived experience, be vulnerable enough to like, I get really detail about how detailed about how I made, um, the work of law enforcement so much more difficult, right? And, and in doing so, it can open up a conversation of like the patterns that they see with victims. That is so frustrating and understandably so, but let's talk about why this is happening. And Mm -hmm. advocates have been doing this work for for so long, right? We're standing on the shoulders of our grandmothers here and and continued. And I think the gift that victims lived experience that we can give when we're, some of us are comfortable is to really say, yeah, I did that. This is what it looked like. Let's talk about why. Let's talk about how your work is so important. And Another piece that I do is that I really intentionally lift up the experiences I've had that were positive, whether it be with law enforcement or advocates or DCF workers. There have been multiple DCF investigations into my family or, you know, friends and family. I lift those up, especially when I'm speaking publicly, 
And in doing so, I hope to inspire others to think differently about their work. Um, when I speak about the negative experiences, I never mention you know, specific identifying details. So that's my approach. And I find that you know, it, it softens folks, right? It brings the humanity in. Um, and that's what we need to do, like help people get more comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. This is uncomfortable stuff. And really my aim is to inspire how do we, how do we have folks in positions of power be mentors to, you know, start modeling. That is what it's going to take, right? So leadership and law enforcement and captains on football teams, coaches, like to speak out, to, to model appropriate, yeah. and be vulnerable, like, right? Like you make a mistake or inappropriate towards a woman and you recognize it or she mentions it to you, own it, right? Yeah. Have conversations. And I think everyone is so afraid to do that, to, to stand in integrity. It's, it's scary. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what, where I come from. It take accountability wherever I can be vulnerable and hopefully inspire others to do that. Yeah. Cause we all screw up. We're all learning. Right. And I think that's such a, a big important thing is for us to take accountability in how we're doing this work, how we're approaching it. So we keep learning. And I really liked what you had to say too, was just like bringing that positive voice in, even despite the negative experience. And I think, especially when we're educating people, if you're out training or doing whatever, if you come in and you're like, you did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. Like everyone's just going to be sitting there arms crossed. And that means they're not hearing, they're not receiving it. Right. But if I can come in and be like, okay, so this is all the stuff that was done really right. And kind of layer in there, some of the other stuff, that's a really, a much better way to approach it because we all learn better through positive reinforcements. We learn our lessons the hard way, but we, you know, but we do learn through that positive reinforcement. And I, I really appreciate um, that's something I think we have very similar passion about in this work is how to, how we approach it from that place of love. And I think most, I mean, most people have good intentions, right? We are just stumbling through life trying to figure this out and we hurt one another. Absolutely. And we are, we have so much programming going on that we aren't even aware of. And so um, trying to shed light on these issues and come together, you have to find a place of, of collaboration without, you know, triggering defenses. And so I find people are more receptive to, to those uncomfortable places when we can find that together. So, yeah, absolutely. So I would love to hear about some of the actions you've done with your activism. Like you've had this activism and then advocacy that's been birthed out of your experience. So what are some of the things you've done in your community, in the state level? And then we'll talk about what you want to do in the future. You know, what I've done, I mean, really, I think, I think just a lot of talking, really, right? Like, I don't know. I don't yes, know. Yes, but you've done like, I mean, what you've done in your own. I'm saying I've accomplished some big things. Um, but sorry, what were you, what were you saying? I was going to say brag on yourself a little bit. Like you have done things in your community, getting resolutions passed and, you know, you're doing these yeah. things. And I think that's important for listeners to hear because, you know, we think on this big thing and like we have to be out there speaking and whatever, but sometimes it's the really simple work in our own communities. So just for people yeah. to be able to kind of learn what they can do in their community, in their state, modeled Absolutely. off of what you've done. No, and I, I mean, I was going to say that I... 
it is my passion and there's so I have so many things I would like to see move forward and I am I am stubborn and persistent and patient so um and I sort of have developed that reputation in some circles for this and so while I can't say like yes, this, this has this goal has been accomplished um you know there's movement and that feels good and so a lot of that is conversations the the resolution well I'm going to start I'll start from the beginning that basically what happened how it started me out and what's led was it started with really really alarming my perspective experiences with law enforcement um when I was seeking safety and so from there I reached out to the Women's Freedom Center and the Winter County um State's Attorney's Office advocate uh because you know it had it had supported me and it was sort of after the dust settled and I was safe but I was in the position I was in, I was supporting other people. And I was just like, I can't let this go. I can't let go what I experienced. And of course it was ongoing. Um, and so from there, they they connected me and, and I was invited to address the federal police department. That was a very cathartic experience, right? That was my first, I'm gonna speak publicly about my lived experience. And it was because of experiences I'd had with their department and Vermont State Police. And so that, that for me, that lit my fire. That did, that did it. And um, from there, and that was very well received. Uh, from there, uh, the Vermont Network Against Domestic and Sexual Violence, uh, I, Women's Freedom Center referred me to them. And from there, they started inviting me to speak in support of legislation and um, all sorts of different, any speaking events, really, they know I always say yes. <laughs> um, again, because I found no matter how far I get in my recovery, it is it is exhausting. And as I said, no human being can do it. And what I have found, the only coping mechanism that I have found is to speak about this. Is it? I don't see it getting any easier. And I'm very aware of my privilege. And so for some of us, I mean, it, everyone's experience is their own, but for some victims and survivors, being able to share our experience and lend it in service, for me, it gives it purpose. Pain, the ongoing stigma, just the injustice of it, it gives it purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I've continued on from there. And, and I just honestly, again, I, I got even more bold. And, you know, someone at the network would say, hey, you should talk to Ingrid Jonas of Vermont State Police, or you should talk to Jen Verbo of Vermont State Police. You should talk to this person, that person. And I don't go away. <laughs> like once somebody tells me, hey, you should talk, I'll start sending emails. And if I don't, and, you know, what I found is someone will look at back to me. Yeah, I really want to talk to you. And then months might go by. Well, then they're going to hear from me again. You know, I'm not going to pester them. I'll follow up. I'll follow up. And ultimately, I find it's hard to say no to a survivor, right? That says, I'd like to talk to you about my experience. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so generally, you know, I found that once I get that initial meeting with someone, they're like, we need to get you in here. And so I've had the opportunity to speak with the Vermont State Police Domestic Violence Task Force, uh, sharing my lived experience. And that was fantastic. And from there, you know, one of my big goals, I really like to see improvements to domestic violence training for law enforcement in the state. And I would really like uh, lived experience of survivors, you know, for, for that, those changes to lean upon our lived experience, pull us in, you know, into that. And I really think in trainings, to wherever it might be appropriate to have us address new law enforcement. And 
for those that have been doing the work for a long time um, are burnt out and, you know, they, they, they need to pull us in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I'm pro-police, right? So that's one that there's so much debate going on in our world around that. There's, I believe there's a lot of work that needs to be done around what law enforcement work looks like. But I am yep. pro-police and I have my only avenue to safety was leaning upon law enforcement and criminal justice system because the risk to my life was so severe. Yep. Simply not an option to call a neighbor or a friend. Um, absolutely has to be law enforcement. So I'm very passionate about that. Um, and the town resolution, Vermont Network, they started this wonderful Uplift Vermont campaign, which is so aligned with where I see, you know, let's how we need to get everyone involved. We need to invest in prevention. We need those who, um, you know, get our positions of leadership to influence, to help shift the tides. So they started that campaign. And um, Jess Barquist was saying, you know, Kelsey, aligned with this campaign, you could, you could push a resolution. So once someone gives me an idea, like, okay, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Right? So yeah. the Women's Freedom Center teamed with me and um, we pushed town resolution in Brattleboro which was passed, acknowledging domestic violence as a fundamental, freedom from domestic violence as a fundamental human right. And that was really, you know, somewhat performative, but it is the way the resolution is written is, again, hopefully paving the way for in the future, uh, future investment and in projects into prevention. Uh, yep. Acknowledge the severity of the issue and hopefully more work down the road towards prevention. Um, and so again, and these things just build on themselves. So from there, um, the the men that organize and run the domestic violence accountability programming in Brattleboro area invited me to start addressing their groups, which was a whole new lens to address offenders. Um, they all their court order doing that programming, and I have to tell you, you know, I've I've addressed a lot of different groups of people, and. The questions that and the dialogue that I've had with uh, offenders was really, really valuable. It was valuable for me. And for those that were ready, expressed, it was really valuable for them. And in other states, having victims address accountability programming is something that is just built into the programming. Yep. And so I know they're working on changes around accountability programming and restorative justice around domestic violence. And I would really like to see where appropriate, right? And with survivors that are in a place that are comfortable with it, I would like to see our voices pulled into that as well. And from my perspective, that's all lends itself towards that restorative justice piece, um, maybe maybe a different aspect of it. But I think we need both. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And you mentioned uplift briefly. I did an episode. I don't know which episode number it was, but it was, if you go if, for the listeners who want to learn more about the uplift campaign, we did do an episode about it um, last year. So it's a source and tie in. Um, what are some of the actions you'd like to take in the future as we're kind of winding down today? Actions I'd like to take in the future. Um, I think I already mentioned them. I would really, I, you know, I'm, big focus of mine is law enforcement training. I would really like to continue to be part of the movement towards investment into prevention. We're investing so much money into after the violence happens yep. and we need to continue to support victims in accessing safety, but we need to start looking at this differently because it's not working. So prevention in general um, and supporting 
advocates and the work that they do. It is very difficult work and we need them desperately. Absolutely. Yeah. And just as we already talked about, um, continuing to have conversations and small scales and broader scales whenever possible um, to help inform folks and inspire. I, I feel like this issue does affect all of us, even if it's, again, within our workplaces, within our family relationships, even if it doesn't rise to the level of violence, um, this is a systemic issue. Absolutely. I, I mean, and I think that's really like the good point to kind of bring it back around to is this is happening everywhere. You said our grocery store, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, this is such a huge systemic issue and we can't be blind to it. And, and even like, I, there's something you said at the beginning of the interview about just, you know, even like looking at sexual harassment in the workplace, like if that person is willing to make those comments in the workplace, what are they doing at home? Is something I come back to a lot of just like, how do we not, how do we look at all of those things and go, oh, how, what's happening at, in the home life of these people and just having our eyes really wide open. And that's where that prevention piece comes in as well is looking at the people who we're interacting with and realizing there might be a, a bigger story or a bigger injustice or danger within that. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it may be, you know, I think oftentimes because it is so accepted to make comments, say in the workplace or within social settings, even if there isn't violence going on at home, it just all lends to this dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. This yeah. inappropriate boundary crossing dynamic where, you know, folks that are experiencing it don't feel comfortable speaking up, right? And, and we unknowingly, right, are programmed to accept things from others that we shouldn't. And so I, I like to say, I didn't experience any abuse or violence in my childhood. Again, I had, we all have our own issues in our families, but I had a relatively healthy, safe childhood. Same. Yeah. And yet, and yet I found myself in very light, ultimately life threatening relationships, which it took, I don't know how many times it took before I was ready to leave. Yeah. And again, nearly 20 years of experience working with folks in behavioral mental health. So I, what I am getting at is that it is the programming we have. It's, it's yes, what might be going on at home with that person that crosses boundaries so regularly in pretty appalling ways, but also those just little things that have become so accepted and ingrained in us, right? And it all wraps into this issue. So, yeah. Yes, yeah. After I, you're just saying so much, I'm just like, yep, yep, yep. One of the things like I love that I actually wrote down was that you said you have a sacred rage. And I like I wrote that down. That's going on my wall. Thank you for that. <laughs> love uh, that term. I'm like, ooh, that's good. You. you know, this positive, absolutely positive in my engagement with folks. So there are things that people will say or things that, you know, you start to see it everywhere. Right. That that it's I'm not angry at a particular person. No, but there is rage in there. Right. And that was what fuels the fire. And this just, I have to get it out. And this, this, this is, let's be productive. Let's have purpose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I could not agree more. Like I said, it's going on my wall. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, so as we wind down today, like this is going to come out um, during April, which is national crime victims rights or April is sexual assault awareness month. And in the end of April, we have national crime victims rights week. 
And I know for me, it's always a very special week to feel like seen maybe. I don't know why it's just like, it's such a strange thing to be like, yeah, I'm going to really like honor and not celebrate the things I went through, but I'm going to honor them and the person I've become within that. So what does National Crime Victims Rights Week mean to you? First, I want to say I love that you said that. Um, I, I I would love to undo the pain that uh, my experiences have caused my children and the ripple effect it's had on other people. Um, but for me, I, I I have grown so fully into myself and my recovery. I wouldn't want to be the person I was before, um, which is pretty interesting. But it's true. I'm more alive now and authentic than I and I ever was or could have been. And so I do celebrate that. And I love that you that you do the same, or at least that's what I heard, right? A little bit. Yeah. Um, so I didn't even know this week existed. And until this year, I love that it exists. And I think it's interesting that I didn't know, considering, you know, I'm just trying to be in this movement as much as possible in this state. And I wasn't aware of it. And I think, again, that goes to a lot of times victims of domestic violence were in these little silos, right? And I think my sense about this week, at least, is that advocates are really aware of it, which is fantastic. And I think this week should be so much about lifting up their work is it is extremely tireless. I mean, it's endless uh, work. And so that is fantastic. And the week for me, I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to know about it. And I'm telling people about it. Um, it's all about gratitude. I'm so grateful for all of the incredibly beautiful work that um, the network has offered to me in my recovery. Uh, now the center and, and the Women's Freedom Center and uh, law enforcement. I'm so grateful for the work. And I, I wouldn't be here. I truly, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be alive. And so I'm incredibly grateful and looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it is such a week of just like honoring the people who have served. And I think like with the pandemic, it was, it kind of got lost for a couple of years. So it's nice to have it coming back um, more fully and yeah, to honor those people who serve us, right? And just tirelessly. And they're not just serving us. It's not like that advocate only had me to deal with. They were dealing with, you know, 70 other people that were also needing their assistance. And so a time to honor them and to feel that celebration that we're alive and we're here and we can do this work. And yeah, I don't know. It's a hard one to explain unless if you like have survived some major stuff, right? It's like, huh, it's weird to be like, I love this week. It's so great. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's weird. People are always like, what? You know, don't you get don't you want to stop dwelling on this terrible thing you've gone through? And it's like, it, it's my passion. I know yeah. it's my favorite topic of conversation. I don't know. I, <laughs> I know people say to me, they're like, how do you do this? How are you happy? How are you joyful? Like, this is such dark work. I'm like, okay, first off, I'm not happy all the time. Right. Let me be real clear about that. And I was like, but like, I'm connecting with all these people who understand me in a fundamental way that most of society cannot. And I'm glad that most people cannot understand me in that way, but there's just something to just be like, oh yeah, we can just drop down and talk in that way and not have to explain ourselves or how our brain works now because of these things, all of that. Right. And I think that's so powerful. It is so powerful. I, I, right. And that's exactly it is that we are, it is so hard for others to understand our experiences. Um, even though it's going on all around us, it's not spoken of. 
And so having an opportunity to miserate a little bit and to work on this movement together and, and I love, but I especially love when I'm able to reach those that it can maybe walk away with a bigger understanding. Again, it gives it purpose. That's why I love it so much because the hardship isn't going away. And no. so if I can give it purpose, then that's a beautiful thing. Love it. Well, that's a perfect way to close up because I always ask the question at the end here of what would you like to say to victims and survivors who are listening today? Oh, yeah. Well, right. I guess that's a that's a tall question for me. Um, to victims and survivors, I think I'd like to circle back to something I said earlier, which is all victims and survivors deserve so much, so much respect. And no one can possibly understand what it takes to do what you do every single day to take the next step, um, one foot in front of the other that you do. And you're, you're an absolute warrior. And that it does, it can get easier. It absolutely can. And the, the only constant in life is change. That's, that's something I lean on regularly. Um, the, that sometimes we get to a point where the fear of the unknown is the scale tips and that is better than the hell we're living in, right? So um, just one foot in front of the other and, and so strong, so strong. No one can possibly understand, um, but, but you and I do, right? We deserve yeah. it. We deserve to be acknowledged. And, and that's a little bit about what that week coming up is all about. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for spending time with me today. Like just to like say like how passionate you are about this work to our listeners. It's a Sunday afternoon and this is the time that we could find to do this. And so we make that happen because this work does not stop on a Sunday afternoon. It never stops. And we're both showing up to, to do that. So thank you for making that time to be here today. Um, for those listening, if you want to get some more resources, Vermont Network for Domestic and Sexual Violence, especially to learn about services in your individual counties if you're needing support. Um, if you want to learn more about National Crime Victims Rights Week, you can go to the Center for Crime Victim Services, which is our sponsor for this podcast. And I just want to thank you so much for joining me today, Kelsey. Thank you. I really was so honored and excited to be invited. Thank yes. you. Yes. Um, so that does it for us this week, friends. Um, if you have any questions, you can always email me on at standupresources.com. I'm your host of The Mend. Be well and be strong. Goodbye. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or feedback. We love hearing new topic ideas from listeners and watchers as well. Thank you for listening to The Mend and be well.